Well, okay, I get it, Ganesha. Uh, you're the newest guy on staff, so sometimes we need to try and get folks up to speed, and I guess we need to get you up to speed. I do understand. Pissed off mama, dad cutting your head off, uh, wise old elephant. I get all of that. However, you haven't been with us long enough to understand that um, this is a, I don't know, professional. Nah, it's not professional. However, it is a uh, strictly regimented, regimented kind of thing. And we really need to get everybody together on this. Norman's a little wild, however, um, he's been with us a long time. So has Food Dog. You are the new guy on the block, and I do understand. What you will find out as we go on through this, and you have more exposure to it, that um, amateur radio is actually more fun than shooting guns in the house. Hello everybody and welcome to Richard's Radio Adventures. My name is Richard, KB5JB Lee, and I am the host of this Odyssey of the Mind. I guess you could call it uh, Odyssey of a Distorted Mind, Odyssey of a Multiple Mind, Odyssey of the Nevermind. Okay, so this time, before we get started good, I want to uh, take a moment to talk about the Arecibo Puerto Rico radio telescope. At the time of this recording, a few weeks ago they had uh, discussed, they had discussed decommissioning the Arecibo radio telescope, which has been a fixture down there for, God, eons. And the deal is, I mean, it even has been a film star, among other things. Uh, for those of y'all who don't know, it's featured at least in uh, one James Bond movie, and even a movie called Contact with Jodie Foster and what's his name, uh, Magic Mike, My, Matthew McConaughey, and. It's kind of been a fixture for a long, long time. I'm, I lament the loss of the telescope simply because they had talked about decommissioning it. And over the last week or so, there was an accident where the towers that held up the receiving equipment failed and kind of trashed the place. So it's kind of all over but the cleanup. It's near and dear to my heart because my very first HF contact was with a young man that was 13 years old who lived in the area of Arecibo. And if you've ever worked a station from down there, you know the first thing they want to tell you about is the telescope. Now, I still have his card come think of it. His name was Emigdio Inigo. And we worked each other on 10 meters in uh, the middle of the day on a really bad antenna on my end. And it was nice to know that there were young people getting in the hobby even back then. We will miss you, Arecibo Telescope. At one time, you were the largest telescope on the planet and your passing will be missed. I feel almost the same way about the Arecibo telescope as I did when the uh, Channel 11 tower fell here locally. 
over on uh, Cedar Hill back in the 1990s. There was an issue with one of the guy wires on that one, and it fell over. Also, even stations like uh, our local channel 33, that during a severe thunderstorm took a lightning strike, and it blew the Clastron tube in the transmitter. So it was off there for a long time. Now, I know y'all think I'm going on uh, much ado about nothing at this point, but... Yeah, we kind of have a tie to radio telescopes and astronomy and stuff like that. And we will get back to that at some point. I probably will do something on that subject. I'll even tell y'all the story everybody's heard about, about the guys at Bell Labs having to sweep out the pigeon crap from their horn antenna on a microwave receiver because they thought that that was part of the problem why they were picking something up that they shouldn't be. And it turned out to be the cosmic microwave background radiation that you've heard so much about. So with that, we will end our lament for their Acebo telescope. We may revisit it in future. Now, uh, recently we released an episode of Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. Like I said, we're uh, putting the old episodes on the website, and we do have plans at the moment to go ahead and restart it as soon as the back episode 54 has run. We are currently talking to a gentleman named Farrell, can't remember his call sign right offhand. Yeah, y'all give me a minute to look and I'll tell you. But he and I are actually talking about doing a uh, DMR series and possibly moving on past that. Farrell is N4FRL. Farrell Brown. Y'all go friend him up on Facebook if you're good amateur radio operators because if you're good amateur operators, you're checking in new technology, you're probably on DMR, and he might be able to help y'all out. But like I said, we're currently uh, working on an idea for some DMR episodes to go into Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, or we may issue them as a sub-podcast, I don't know, Resonant Frequency DMR Review or something like that. The name hadn't quite dawned upon me just yet. Most of the time, names for stuff come to me in the middle of the night. Uh, Linux in Hamshack, Resonant Frequency, Richard's Radio Adventures. Strangely enough, that kind of stuff. They Even Black Sparrow Media, which uh, originally was something I set up. I turned it over to Russ because I figured he could probably uh, handle it a lot better than I could. So, y'all uh, look forward to that. Now, what I want to get to in this particular episode is storm spotting. We had recently released an episode. In fact, we released it yesterday, uh, the old Resonant Frequency of the Amateur Radio podcast. And it was a episode where I had done, redone spotter training that I had given, oh God, years ago. And I wanted to get that on so that I understand it's the wrong time of year in most places, but spotter safety is important. And quite honestly, if you look further back in Richard's Radio Adventures, you will probably find that same exact spotter training where I did it live on an Aries net back in the, I don't know, or somewhere around 2012, 13, something like that. For those of y'all who are interested in that actual piece of spotter training, I do have it without music on either end so that you can run it on your repeater if necessary. Just uh, contact me, kb5jbv at gmail.com. So tonight we're not going to talk about spotter training so much. I just wanted to reminisce a bit about my experience 
as far as a fodder with races and Aries and that kind of stuff. You know, the first actual storm that I was involved with was way back, way back. I believe it was 1995. I'll check real quick. Uh, 1994, I'm sorry. I was out doing my spotting thing, and I was coming back in. And y'all will probably have to get your Google map out to keep with some of this, keep up with some of this geography. But we had had, well, let's back up a minute. Here in North Texas, we suffer from something called high precipitation supercells, HP supercells. Whereas out in West Texas, they normally have LP supercells out there. And in our case, with the HP supercells, they have a particular structure which kind of makes them like a straw that you're blowing across the top of, which allows you to reduce the pressure and pull the liquid of whatever's on the other end of the straw up through the straw. They kind of work like that. And we have an area to normally to the north, roughly north, where because of the updraft involved in the in the area of rotation that raindrops tend to be recirculated, small particles of ice tend to re be recirculated, and what you end up with is this loop that makes those uh, droplets or small ice crystals get bigger and bigger and bigger, and before it's over with, they get so heavy that they have to fall out. Another thing that comes out of those is the fact that the storm, because the storm is rotating, you have a lot of turbulence and that kind of stuff. Therefore, you tend to generate areas of low pressure which become tornadoes. They normally start up in the storm and work their way to the ground. But it really doesn't matter either way. They're pretty damn devastating. So with that, uh, let's see, is there anything else I need to add to that? I don't think so. Uh, if I do, I'll stick it in later. So the first actual, I had been licensed probably about 15 or so years when I decided to get into storm spotting. Now, let me say this before we go any further. Storm spotting is not storm chasing. If you are a storm chaser or a core puncher, and I've been guilty of it myself when I first got into it, I was a core puncher, man. I would wait for the storm to pass. I would get on my bicycle, and I would pedal like crazy to get out in front of that storm so I could get another look at it. If you are a storm chaser, or you are a storm, um, a core puncher, you're an idiot. Plain and simple. You're an idiot. Storm spotters are there. It's kind of like when uh, Sir Robert Peel introduced the Metropolitan Police Department in London way, way back when. And his philosophy was that 99% of policing in the London area was what he called stand and observe. Your job was to observe what was going on and then act upon it if necessary. Well, we probably need to take the same position as spotters. Those of you that have been doing it for a long time understand what I'm talking about. We don't need to be, well, what is it? Be part of history, uh, let's see, observe history, but be not part of it. Uh, I'm not a super fan of Anne Rice, but uh, that particular phrase makes good sense. So what we're talking about here is be safe while you're out there. And y'all, please go back and check the spotter safety training I did on the one episode. Um, if you have questions, send me your questions. 
we are a listener-driven podcast, just like Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. So now I've bored y'all long enough, let's move on. So the first storm I actually had any interaction with after I decided to get into the public service thing and all that good stuff happened on April 25th, 1994. April 25th of 1994, the city of Lancaster, Texas, and we say, for those of y'all in other parts of the country, in Dallas County, we call it Lancaster. In Tarrant County, we call it Lancaster. So, uh, important uh, little tip if you ever find yourself in there. On April 25th, 1994, there was an F4 tornado that went through the city of Lancaster. Now, it was it was fast moving. It dropped out of the cloud, and it was there, and it was happening. And it was an F4. It moved six miles across parts of uh, Dallas County. And 80% of the Lancaster, Texas downtown square was destroyed. 223 homes were destroyed and 227 damaged. 58 businesses were destroyed. There was an elementary school that was severely damaged and a junior high that was severely damaged. And there were three fatalities and 48 injuries reported. Now, this was in 1994. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1994. Now, the one thing I want to inform y'all of, and once again, you may want to check your Google Maps again, is that the area around Dallas and Fort Worth, for some reason, is conducive to the development of tornadoes. Mostly because of these HP supercells, but because of the topography and that kind of stuff. Now, this is the one that, if you've listened to earlier episodes, you've probably heard me tell the story about the gentleman who was actually storm spotting from his home and had to go into the bathroom and pull a mattress over him and was giving spotting reports while the tornado was tearing his house apart. He survived, by the way, because he was smart. He's not a chaser. And quite honestly, I never have gotten a chance to shake his hand, but if I ever find him or ever run up on him at a club meeting somewhere, you betcha I'm going to shake that hand. So, this was back in 1994. My part in it was, I was coming back in from a city called Waxahachie, down on the, uh, just outside of Dallas County to the south. And I pulled over to the side of the road while I was listening to the reports and watched the tornado tear up this city. Ain't nothing to play with, guys. For sure. And then I made my way back to Mesquite because I knew they were going to be covered up with people wanting to be in there helping. And looky-loos, storm chasers, all that good stuff. Looky-loos, man. You really got to watch out for them guys when you're actually having to deal with something like this. So I did finished up and I made my way home. Now, please remember, in 1994, I was married to a woman that was up for just about anything. Uh, She got her amateur radio license and that kind of stuff. And we spent a lot of time storm spotting together. But she wasn't with me that particular night. And it was just me and my old Ford pickup. However, when I got back to the city of Mesquite, they had minor damage. So, in 1995... In Fort Worth, Texas, we had what I like to call the Mayfest Hailstorm. Now, every year in Fort Worth, the first part of May, they have what they call Mayfest. It's kind of a, I don't know, they have booths and stuff, and there's alcohol and 
music and everything else. I guess it's kind of an end of the winter celebration over in Fort Worth. Quite honestly, I've never attended. But in 1995, there was a storm came through that uh, a lot of our stuff comes from the east in this part of the country. So I think it's got something to do with being at the bottom of Tornado Alley. But it either comes from the east or the north, or I'm sorry, the west or the northwest, and pretty much tears stuff up. When a cold front comes through here, you can pretty much guarantee that Skywarn, Aries, Red Cross, all them people are going to be activated. So, uh, so on May 5th, 6th, because it did roll over past midnight, uh, the storm comes through, and all of these people are out at Mayfest, and the storm starts to generate four-inch hail. And I said that slow because I want everybody to grasp this. Four-inch hail. Now, the wife and I, we were currently out doing our normal stuff, and the activation call came through and everything else. Remember, we were over in Dallas County. In fact, we had to come in from Kaufman County to swap to our uh, our uh, spot ve- spotter vehicle. Once again, my old Ford pickup. And then go back to Kaufman County for the storm. Uh, no, I think we... Yeah, it was the truck. My son at the time, who was 10, 11 years old, he always went out with us when we were spotting anyway. I made sure he knew exactly what he needed to do to take care of himself. And it was probably irresponsible. Like I said, you know, I watched that movie Twister when it first came out, and I decided I was that guy. So the storm comes through. It's generating four-inch hail at least. I would like to, I, quite honestly, I think at some point it was generating uh, six to eight inch hail for the simple reason that while we were on, on our way back home to pick up the stop, spotter vehicle, boy, I just cannot talk tonight, to pick up the spotter vehicle, uh, we ended up running into a phenomena that was brand new at the time. In fact, that night was the first night I had ever seen it, where people would pull up underneath an overpass on the highway and stop to keep their cars from getting damaged. Now, the line of cars behind them that didn't have any cover, uh, well, screw them, and we were one of them. And coming back in, the car we drove every day was a uh, Dodge Caravan. So we've got all this glass. We've got a car that's got a fairly thin skin. And we have huge hailstones coming down. And a huge amount of rain. And finally, we were able to get clear of that. Luckily, we didn't lose any of the windows made my son lay down in the back seat. We had some quilts and stuff we kept in the vehicle just in case, and I had him cover up with that in case we lost a window or something. And we moved our way back home. We immediately switched to the spotter vehicle, strapped him in the back seat, got his quilts around him, And we headed off to Kaufman County, which is the county next to Dallas County to the east. We made record time getting to the city of Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, if y'all are following on map, and rolled up on a hill that I had used for a long time. It just so happened to be a hill at the top of the Trinity River Bottoms which allowed us to be able to see all the way to downtown Dallas from Forney, Texas, which is about 20 to 25 miles east. And we watched the storm as it came across from Fort Worth. Now, it tracked down a piece of highway 
which is a uh, state highway, State Highway 80. And it came in a direct line down the highway. And we watched it. We were watching the lowering. We were watching the wall cloud. We were watching all of it. Once it got past the river bottoms, it started to generate a lowering. And by the time it got about five miles away, there was a funnel on the ground. Now, this doesn't get reported because the only people really there watching it was us. And the weather service, I can't find any information where they ever acknowledged that this was happening. And I stepped out of the vehicle and was standing out there trying to get, it was already starting to get dark, trying to get a good view of the storm. I was out there with my handy talkie. She was in the vehicle with it running, as those of you that have listened to the safety training know that I tend to do and suggest be done. And was watching. And the uh, grass, which was probably, I don't know, foot, foot and a half tall. The longer I stood there watching this funnel come down Highway 80, the closer it got, the stronger the wind got, the more the grass started to lay down almost horizontal. And I finally decided it was time to go. I turned around the vans down at the end of the road. She had done off, run off and left me. <laughs> and I called her on the radio and said, come back and get me. And we watched this funnel as it came down and then it veered to the north and never actually made it to the location where we were. It's my understanding once it got further into Forney and further northeast around Lake Tuakonee, that it became quite an issue. But I'm still, to this day, having difficulty finding information on that. So then we move to the tornado in Maybank, which was along about 95, 96. And we got the call that a tornado had run through Maybank. Once again, I keep telling y'all, I was telling y'all about it being an area conducive to tornadoes here. They, we've had them everything from zero to five and, I mean, seriously. But in the case of Maybank, there's also little information on that particular time. This was back in the 90s. I can find information for one that happened in 20, this year, but I can't find, or uh, 2019, and can't find anything for that particular storm. But we've got a lot of reservoirs here also. Uh, Dallas is a big place. It takes a lot of water to kind of keep things going. And we have several lakes really close to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And Cedar Creek Lake is one of those. It's probably about 30 to 35 miles out of Dallas. But it has a lot of smaller towns around it. And Maybank being one of them. Maybank, Gun Barrel City, Seven Points. Uh, those are some of the bigger ones. And we received a call that there had been a tornado come across the lake. It had destroyed a bunch of property. It had, when we got there, we found an awning completely leaning over at one of the gas stations. All the windows knocked out of cars at one of the local churches. Uh, damage to the local Walmart Supercenter and that kind of stuff. And our job at that point was to go to the staging area where she and I were both put in cars with police officers so we could patrol the area for damage assessment. That's part of your job, too, if you tend to be races or areas, because you can get in, get stuck in a car with a police officer and going around and spotting for what kind of damage happened and that kind of stuff. Now, the Maybank tornado didn't take them long to recover from that. So, I mean, it was just a lot, a huge amount of property damage. And luckily, nobody was killed. Uh, well, there were injuries, 
and it's possible there might have been one or two deaths, but we never heard anything about that. So let's move a little further up. I seem to have lost it, but in 1995, around 95, 90, no, there it is. Sorry, folks clicking around trying to make sure I got my notes in different spots. Uh, there was a tornado. Okay, let's back up to 2000. In 2000, there was a tornado outbreak here in North Texas. And it turns out that the city of Fort Worth, Texas, if you've heard of Dallas, you've probably heard of Fort Worth. Remember, they say it's where the West begins. And in their downtown area, they had an F3 tornado strike. Now, the F3 tornado in downtown, in downtown Fort Worth took out nearly all of the major buildings in downtown Fort Worth. Now, in some ways, I, there was major damage. There was minor damage. A lot of the large commercial buildings lost huge amounts of glass and there was water damage and everything else for those of y'all that remember radio shack uh tandy center which owned radio radio shack was severely damaged along with quite a few others and a lot of these buildings being historic buildings in fort worth uh, it's my understanding there was damage to the oil and gas building which I worked in at one time for one national security firm, uh, a couple of bank buildings, one of them being one that we had a contract with, and we're talking about buildings that were still, still had their original Art Deco stuff going on from the 1930s. They were beautiful places to walk into, but there was a large bank building damaged, all this kind of stuff. This is in the downtown area of a major metropolitan city. And the tornadoes didn't stop there. They moved into Arlington, uh, Grand Prairie, that kind of stuff. Now, in that particular case, since we were attached to Dallas and or Kaufman County at the time, we didn't spend a lot of time over there. But it took years and years. And there was a possibility of storm spotters getting hurt while these storms were going on. So, moving back over to um, our part of town, my part of town. In 2015, we had uh, what we called a Christmas tornado <laughs> over in uh, the city of Mesquite, which is a suburb of Dallas. And... It spawned some F-Zeros, F-1s when it started over in the area I was in. And before it was over, it had uh, spawned an EF-4. Sooner or later, I'll get used to that change in the Fujita scale. There were 10 fatalities. I mean, it ran, it was about 13 miles long was the track, and the width was about 550 yards. There were a lot of injuries in the storm. I just so happened to be riding that control desk for Mesquite Races that day. And more than once I had to have the net stand by so that everybody could collect themselves. You know, if any of you guys are interested in me doing uh, the net control side of emergency communications, y'all let me know because I spent a lot of time riding that... Uh, net control desk and I know it's a hard job and you have to have a fairly special temper temperament to be able to do that however when you call uh, all stations standby either collecting information which is not normally the case but it does happen from time to time or you're getting everybody to take a deep breath and calm down and compose themselves. Because if you've got 18 people trying to give reports at the same time, it ain't working. So, I mean, I can give you the stats on this. But I remember that morning when they called me and said, bring the net up. 
the day after Christmas, the day after Christmas on 2015, and we had homes damaged in the Sunnyvale area, which is just a couple miles south of where I was living at the time, and they had homes and businesses and stuff damaged all the way up to the north end of the Lake Ray Hubbard area and that kind of stuff. Once again, pull your maps out. And it ran for some time. Now, the only reason I'm rambling on all this stuff is because I figure there's good information in here somewhere. And I hope y'all are able to take the time and, and figure that out. Anyway, there were 10 fatalities and 468 injuries in that particular bunch of storms and you know the upside is if you listen back or go do the due diligence and check this stuff out you'll find that over time we're having fewer fatalities fewer injuries because everybody is better trained and more aware so let's move to uh, april 3rd 2012 now, on April 3rd, 2012, and this one's strikes really close to home for me, over the course of my spotting career, I found myself up close and personal, meaning less than a quarter of a mile from a funnel, four different times. And this one here, well, I call it the Great Forney Tornado. I don't remember if I have videos on the website for it, but you can go to YouTube and find videos. One of them was shot by a dear friend of mine, Tim Green, who's a Mesquite police officer and also an amateur radio operator. And there's even one that is shot from the parking lot of the place I was working at the time, which happened to be a grocery store in Forney, Texas. But I got the call that morning. We needed net. I sent the word out. What I ended up with was my number two, my assistant, assistant radio officer slash net control. And because he was not able to go mobile that morning, I had him calling the net. I got the call while I was getting ready for work. So I pulled on my work outfit and I went and got in the new truck, newer truck, which was also a Ford F-150 and headed out. Because of the way the roads are set out and set up in that area, there's a lot of hills, a lot of curves, hills, that kind of stuff. So I come out of the house, out of the housing addition, onto the main road going into Forney. I come up a hill and around a corner, and I am staring at the tornado or the funnel. Now, it was an EF2 very strong EF2, and it destroyed a complete housing addition on the far north end of the city. By that time, it was an EF3, and there's plenty of video of this funnel as it's tearing those houses up. I ended up going by the uh, high school and the junior high to make sure there wasn't any damage to the buildings and stuff. And then I had to report to my job so that we could ice down all the meat in the meat department so that uh, it wouldn't go bad. We had no power. And just so happens by the time we got it all iced down, the power came back on. But once I topped that hill, I was less than a quarter of a mile away from this funnel. And it was really tearing stuff up. So, I mean, go back and research some of these. I know you probably live in an area where they do have tornadoes from time to time. And these are the ones that I remember most. Now, in the case of the night of the Mayfest storm, we had the issue with my wife at the time, my spotting partner, drive off on me and that kind of stuff but we also had a policy at that time over in Kaufman County of not shutting down the net until every spotter reported in as being back at their home and this is where we come into paying attention 
And we were, had made our way to the OC and we were sitting there. And one of the guys that was out spotting that had come down from a county in the north, Rockwall County in particular, no, it was Hunt County, had made the turn, made a turn on one of the farm to market roads here, came around a curve, and standing in front of him was a rather large bovine. And he attempted to miss the animal. However, he hit it pretty much head on. And, uh, well, poor sad little cow. When we got out there uh, and I got, I walked off and looked off in the ditch where this livestock was, it was really uh, not very happy. And it still had the oh shit look on its face. So apparently it looked up just in time to see what was coming. And it had pretty much, the SUV he was driving, it had pretty much damaged it pretty badly. We had to carry him all the way back to Hunt County and drop him off at his home. So like I said, these are reminiscences of stuff. I mean, there's been more, a lot more. It's like I may have said earlier, it, you know, I went and saw Twister, and I thought I was that guy. I had calmed down some by the time that these particular episodes came about, but I thought I was that guy. The one thing you need to bear in mind is that as amateur radio operators, we are spotters. We are spotters for the National Weather Service. What we do is we find a safe place and report from that safe location. And if it becomes unsafe, we get the heck out. Now, there's ways to make that happen. Uh, things I outlined in that spotter training. Always have an exit strategy. Make sure you don't let that stuff get too close to you. Don't turn your car off because it might not start. Always make sure it's got a full tank of gas. All this stuff. Because more than anything else, the number one priority of a storm spotter is to get home without injury or death. And a lot of times these storm chasers just really don't get that. Mostly because they're the kind of guys that think they're indestructible. Once again, it's the amateur radio, amateur radio operators performing a service that is very important to the general public. But we don't get paid for it, and we damn, we for sure don't get paid to die doing it. So there's my soapbox. Y'all knew it was coming. We may do a lengthier segment on the Arecibo radio telescope. I'm pretty sure we'll end up doing something with the link to amateur radio and astronomy or uh, satellites or something. Sooner or later. Like I said, I've hooked up with a guy that we're in talks. Uh, very much like the beginning of Re uh, Linux and Hamshack at this time. Where we will, at the very least, explore DMR radio. And we're talking about the aspects. Whether you're using it on locally on a repeater or on a hotspot. And do our best try to try and drill down into um, what we need to do to get everybody connected. Silence of the hams. Division of our resources. You know, y'all keep hearing me preaching that stuff. Can't help myself. Makes me sad. So, with that, let me go ahead and get out of here. We ran close to resonant frequency length, but uh, luckily we've kind of kind of run out so before we go let me go ahead and do this uh, you can contact me at kb5jbv at gmail.com kb5jbv at gmail.com <clears throat> sorry the barnacles are creeping in the website's www.rfpodcast.info 
www.rfpodcast.info. We are currently on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, Facebook page. We're on Twitter, Twitter, even though we really don't check that one that often. You can contact me there. I'm at KB5JBV. We are currently on Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R, which would be Parler.com, and I believe over there I'm at KB5JBV also. And as we move on down the list, uh, MeWe, yeah, I think we did MeWe. Let's do MeWe anyway. Over at MeWe, I am, I'm going to have to find that. Over at MeWe, I am KB, or Richard Bailey. Yeah. wonder why I didn't get my call sign in there. Richard Bailey over at MeWe. Look for Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast in the search. You ought to be able to find it. We are currently setting up a Discord server at Discord, HTTPS, colon, stroke, stroke, discord.com. You ought to be able to find, if you punch in Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, you ought to be able to find it. We are also setting up operations on a place called Mastodon Radio. At Mastodon Radio, we are at KB5JBV. This list is just getting longer and longer, ain't it, kids? So, let's see what else we got. Uh, we're trying to set up, uh, set ourselves up over at Twitch, where we would be KB5JBV, and I believe that's twitch.tv. And, of course, we have a channel over YouTube. And, unfortunately, it doesn't want to cooperate at this time. Uh, I believe it's Richard, KB5JBV, but if you punch in Richard Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y, you ought to be able to track it down. Now, I'm looking at this uh, at the moment, and I think we got everything. You can pick our podcast up at most of the podcast distribution sites and I promise y'all I'm going to try and tutor Ganesha on amateur radio and get him up to speed please understand that uh, he's had unhappy experiences with his family and he's having a little trouble assimilating Uh, food dog she's still got her foot on that puppy and Norman has calmed down for the moment he really scared me when he gets quiet. So with that, kids. It's really wonderful to be able to talk to y'all again. And y'all come by and see us at one of the places. Uh, because we're here for y'all. And I've currently rewritten the uh, description for Resonant Frequency slash uh, Richard Radio Adventures slash Strangely Enough. To include the fact that we are a non-commercial, listener-driven amateur radio podcast. And we're going to do our best to bring y'all in. So with that, thank you for bearing with me as the old uh, Storm Spotter reminiscence. And we'll talk to y'all pretty soon. This is KB5JBV. We gotta go.